everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin and the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm Justin Mazzara. I'm your host, and today I have with me my lovely and understanding significant other and co-host, Deborah Micus. Hello. And today we'll be interviewing Jeremy and Nicole Curlin of the Allergy-Free Baking Company. How are you guys doing today? Great. Thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. And so tell us a little bit about yourselves and how you got into the food business. So originally we're chiropractors. We met in chiropractic school and got married, had some kids and moved to Colorado from New Jersey and practiced a little bit here. And then as we had kids, I stayed home and he continued to practice. I've always been obsessed with food, wrote a cookbook years ago called Naturally Nutritious and loved to bake, loved to cook. And in our chiropractic clinic, we would do food nights, food recipe nights, things like that. Um, and then as we, as I has kids got older, I stayed home, he was practicing and we realized that our kids had some allergies. And when we moved to, uh, Ken Carroll, the, my, one of my very good friends, son has severe, severe allergies. And I started actually specifically baking for him out of my home. So I did the cottage industry laws and baked for three years out of my house and baked for him and the word got out and one of our sons our oldest son is anaphylactic to nuts my youngest son is celiac so in that vein i started doing all of my stuff gluten-free and nut-free and uh the friend's son that i started baking for like i said the word spread like wildfire so i would get requests for you know i started with muffins and cookies and then it turned into do you think you could do bagels and do you think you could do breads and do you think you could do cupcakes? And so it turned into, you know, now we do, my cupcakes are gluten-free, nut-free, soy-free, dairy-free, and egg-free to try to cover as many bases as possible. Um, just started baking for kids that had allergies and that were left out at the parties and left out at school and couldn't eat any of the fun stuff. And I tried to replace that with stuff so they felt included. So at what point did you take it from it being a hobby and for your friends, for you know kids that you knew, to saying, hey, we should really take this broader and make it a company? Well, my, my, the friend that I started baking for, she said, you know, you should turn this into a business. And I went, eh. <laughs> you know, I'm just a mom. I'm just a stay-at-home mom who loves to bake, who's raising some kids. And um, it got so big that I had taken over every freezer in the house, the garage, the living room, the dining room, the entire kitchen madhouse trying to bake during the day and get ready for the kids to come home after school and you know it got crazy so I said to Jeremy I said so I either have to close this down or I need a facility because I can't I can't do this and all my family was going crazy too with everything (laughs) everywhere packaging and labeling and it was crazy so I started looking a couple years ago and we opened up our facility close to home so it's easy to get to and easy you know access to get to the kids if we need to um, I, two years ago, it'll be in July that we opened up just a small shop, just a thousand square foot shop to start producing. And so are you guys still doing all your own production or do you, you do all your own production? So you have your own production. ovens and we have a cu- yeah, a couple ovens. And it was just, I literally started this thing. You know what? I don't even need employees. I'm just going to go in and bake and I'm just going <laughs> to sell frozen stuff. And I'm going to open at 10 after the kids go to school and I'll be home before they get home. And then we opened the doors and it got a little nuts really quick. So I hired a couple employees and then Jeremy was still working as a chiropractor and he started helping more and more doing double duty. And then he, about six months ago, came over full time. Oh, so you guys don't do any chiropractic anymore? 
No chiropractic right now. <laughs> uh, if that's Is even that the verb? right term, I don't even know. I just turned it into a verb. Yeah. You can create words these days, I hear. So social media gave us the ability to do that. But so tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that's a big step. So both of you are now fully into the business and how how's that going and both of you full-time there was one person in charge and now there's both of you working day-to-day how do you guys work through that it takes a while to get used to having an easy life as a chiropractor and being a baker we could have picked a, an easier profession i think <laughs> it's a lot of hours but like like she said you know everything that comes out of that bakery is made by us right now um that's the first phase of it i guess and so when you were practicing chiropractics, did, um, did you guys work together then and have your own business or was it something you guys did separately? Is this your first venture at a business together? No, we started our practice together, but we moved, we graduated in 1998, which was kind of a long time ago. So it's been 20 years in practice. Uh, we started in New Jersey. We quickly realized we didn't like living in New Jersey and moved to Colorado and, uh, we had our first practice here together in 2001, and so we've had a few practices, uh, you know, moved from the north end of Denver down to the south end, and so after the kids, I was practicing alone for, I don't know, the last decade. Ten years. Yeah. So then we're back together again. I like working with my wife. Yeah, that's um, awesome. We I... work well together. We really do. And we, at the, at the bakery, you know, it's one of us is there all the time, and it's, you know, it didn't, it's not just selling frozen, people would come in and want fresh bread or fresh muffins. So then I bake, we bake more and more fresh every day. And I love, I love getting up early and I can't stay up late. <laughs> so I'll get there super early and just do all the fresh baking. And then we try to, you know, a couple employees come in and we do shift and then he, so I open every day, he closes every day and it works out great. And with that and trying to balance the family and all that kind of so stuff. So how did you guys come to the decision to like, unify and go straight into this business and you know leave behind the chiropractics how did you get to that decision because you know i would imagine both have you know lucrative sides to it but it also keeps you divided as a family and so what was what was the deciding factor well she said she was moving forward with this and i asked her if she really understood what that meant (laughs) to our life to our family and so when we started uh like she said i was doing both right um that was that was really hard actually to serve two masters um, in that, and it was a lot of hours, and it was, so it just got less and less on the chiropractic side. Now I'm still pretty passionate about what we did with chiropractic or what I was doing rather, uh, more of a functional movement based thing. I see all this CrossFit gear and whatnot, and <laughs> so I love movement, and I really love. Um, sort of the nutritional aspects of a, a biohacking kind of deal. And so I'm still, I read that stuff every day. I, I watch that stuff all the time. We practice it every day. I'm teaching it to my, to my children. And so the health part of it is a pretty, it's a pretty neat uh, mixture of the chiropractic background with our heavy background in nutrition. And now having an allergy, you know, free baking company. So when people come in, and they just, it's their first time in, they're happy to be there, their kid's never been in a bakery, um, and they're, they're asking about these different food allergies. We have a pretty solid knowledge base, a lot more than just, you know, somebody that works at the bakery at Safeway or something like that. So we can sit there and talk about things in a, in a pretty heady sort of way. 
I it's very look. seldom that I hear an allergy that I haven't heard of before, and I try to. That's why I take so much stuff out of the food and still try to make it delicious because I try to cover as many bases as possible. You know, just to try to so that everyone's included and everyone can enjoy. And we have tears of joy often when they bite into a bagel mm -hmm. or they realize <laughs> that their son can actually eat that cupcake and haven't had a cupcake in 15 years. Or right. so it's really rewarding. Oh, I'm sure. And I mean, at what point were you, when you started realizing your own children had limitations in terms of what they could eat? Because, I mean, did you yourselves and your family have to go through a period of, I mean, I used to have horrible allergies and thank God I don't have them anymore, but it was very traumatic. And I mean, I used to have to be sent to the hospital and given shots of, of epinephrine and all sorts of stuff. So I definitely know the emotional side of that. And I don't know if you guys had to experience that at some level and that started the whole thing or if you were already baking and then so you, did your kids ever have to endure that or well we found out my when my oldest son was probably six that's when we found out he was anaphylactic to nuts through mm -hmm. a couple very scary situations right so we knew that was going on and then I actually realized I had major problems with gluten before my youngest son we realized he did as well um, my sister is celiac. We know it's in the family. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I started, like I said, baking for that other kid, the, my friend's son. So I kind of got used to baking without the gluten and without the dairy and all that kind of stuff and eggs. And so it was really actually an easy transition. And I'm a food obsessor, a recipe obsessor, a tweaker. So I've done that my whole life. Food book, you know, cookbook collector. So I'll, I would go in and I'd say, they really want this, but I need to tweak this and take this out and add this in. Um, and my, my son, my, especially my youngest, would say, I really want to eat this. Like we'd go to a store and I'd say, you know, you can't eat that, but I will create that for you. So That's I would awesome. spend months, you know, I probably made our bagel recipe 30 times. He's from New Jersey, so he'd say, nope, too chewy, too soft. <laughs> he know? has an opinion. <laughs> so it's perfect, and I won't sell it until we're really, really happy with it, but we have a, you know, a, a lemon loaf that's similar to Starbucks that sells really well because people that are gluten-free can't eat the Starbucks lemon loaf or, you know, like I said, cupcakes that don't have any eggs or gluten. And, right. Yeah. So we, but there was a period of, of adjustment for sure, but I don't, my kids eat really well. And they get lots of fun treats. Right. And, you know, they don't miss out on too much just because they have allergies. Well, and baking's just definitely an interesting thing. I mean, I feel like cooking, you can kind of toss a little of this, toss a little of that. But baking is a science for sure. And, like, if you need stuff to rise or you need, I mean, it is a whole different deal, you know. And so, I mean, I have tons of respect for what you guys do. I mean, even just in making cookies, I mean, we laugh in our house. We love it when our cookies come out super flat. But a lot of people like, like them puffy. And, you know, it's just this interesting thing. And, you know, it's like, which is the part that makes it do that? Because we use the same recipe that's on the bag, but some come out puffy and some come out flat. And so it's just this funny thing. And I think it has to do with the sequence of how we do it or how much we melt our butter. I still don't really know, mm -hmm. but it's just one of these things that it's definitely a science. And so, I mean, to have that consistency is huge. I mean, so tons of credit to you guys for that. That, that was a big transition for me. I'm not a baker. I was never a baker. I baked one cake for her birthday one time out of a Betty Crocker box or something like <laughs> right. that. I mean, and so <clears throat> I come in, you know, one day and it's the same thing that I've made a hundred times. And I'm like, why is this all messed up? And like, oh, maybe because it's cloudy today. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> There's always little adjustments that need to happen. But now I'm at the point where I can tell if something's going wrong and I can try to fix it or, and then sometimes it doesn't work, but we don't sell it if it doesn't work, you know? Right. So we're just, you know, we're just a small business doing, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of time, but 
you know, we try to balance that with spending kids time with the kids and going to our cabin when we can and our kids are involved in sports and but if I get there early and work hard and then he closes up, it seems to work out all right. Yeah, I want to make a quick footnote. You mentioned the CrossFit stuff around, so the audience can visualize this. Deborah and I have a CrossFit gym in our four-car garage, and then I've sort of taken over part of it to, to build the studio here, <laughs> if you want to call it a studio. It's as every entrepreneur does that we started in our garage. And um, But I just want everyone to visualize that. The other part I want to talk about is as a company, we do over 20 million meals a year uh, for food, but we don't actually touch baking that much. We actually buy in the breads and buy in because it is such a science and it is something that's hard to get consistent across the board that we are very careful about what we bake and don't bake because of the consistency and needing the consistency across the board and, and the way we do business. And so, I mean, I just want to emphasize the science and the ability and the care that you guys really have to put in to make each recipe, um, you know, exact or taste the same or whatever. And, and baking is a whole different ball game. And so we definitely know that. And Deborah's the baker. I don't even touch baking <laughs> in this house. And I'll cook and do whatever else, but not baking for sure. And then my last point is um, is the allergy-free thing. So I also suffer from gluten allergy. Uh, my hands will literally peel right off mm -hmm. the skin. And um, and it's interesting because go, we'll go to Europe a lot, and I can have gluten there, and I have no reaction. And it's the strangest thing, but I eat gluten here. If, I, if you start to notice my hands start peeling, my, they get dry, they, the, my skin gets reactions, I feel like crap. Uh, that's the major one. It really drags me down. So one of the reasons I really liked what I saw and reached out to you guys on social media to be on the podcast was because exactly that, because there aren't many people that are, people are saying they're doing, but they're not really getting it. And they're not really getting the whole encompassing thing where it's all, it's nuts. Let's go totally allergy free and let's make it good. Because I can tell you, I eat <laughs> bread and it falls to pieces. And it's the, it's, it's the, one of those things that drive me absolutely nuts. And I love sandwiches. They're like my favorite meal of all time. <laughs> and, um, and I love making them, but the problem is, is I can't get bread that falls apart. So one, I'm going to have to come try your bread. So tell us a little bit about your process. I mean, you talked about experimenting, but in, in 50 recipes. So how do you gain new items? Is it something you just see? Like, we're going to add this. Is your store open for people to just walk in and how do they get your product? And then how can they find you on social media? And again, the store what's the address so those were a lot of questions yeah i know <laughs> i, I have a lot of same thing yes we have a storefront where people can just walk in and get fresh goods um we are available in some local coffee shops as well and atlas coffee and bean fosters so our our bakery is in morrison colorado right off of uh, quincy avenue over by red rocks um concert and uh, the storefront is um we're not open like a 7-Eleven, you know, we're trying to be humans and parents and all that. But as far as uh, coming up with the ideas for things, you know, we get like, um, like it was just St. Patrick's Day. And so we know that going into St. Patrick's Day, people are going to want certain things. They're going to want Irish green themed uh, cupcakes. And the new product was an Irish soda bread that she put uh -huh. together. And so she's, you know, spending weeks working on this recipe here. Taste this. How's this, that? I said, I don't even think I've ever eaten Irish soda bread. <laughs> so then we had to go around to local other stores and buy Irish soda bread. Now, mo mostly it was all full of gluten. Ours is going to be, you know, gluten-free. 
And we started tasting these different soda breads. And I said, look, you've nailed it here. And yours is better than all of them that are all glutified. So, I don't know, that's part of her process. But she's always sitting in front of her computer. She's sitting in front of her old school notebook and writing a hundred pages of notes. I'm mm-hmm. like, what are you doing? She's like, working on recipes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I get a I, recipe and then I, then I tweak it and then I make it and I, this is, doesn't work. So then I tweak it again and I rewrite it. I'm all about handwriting and crossing things out. And when it's a, you know, next is going to be Easter. So then what am I going to do for Easter? Are we doing, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free sugar cookie cutouts in the shape of bunny rabbits? I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know until it's a couple weeks before, but that's part of the exciting process because we have our staples that certainly sell well we have to have our bagels we have to have certain muffins and cookies but then that's the creative thing that almost every month there's some kind of holiday some kind of theme we constantly have questions on our facebook page allergy free baking company facebook page or our website asking you know could you make this or will you do this or what are you going to do that's fun for easter (laughs) right so then it kind of gets my the creative juices flowing and I just start looking for recipes and what would be fun. And that's how it keeps it, you know, keeps it creative. And then do you keep kind of an, like that whole list so that next year when you come around and it's Easter again, and then you can be like, okay, these were our top sellers. So those ones you keep and the ones that maybe weren't top sellers, you're like, okay, I'll replace that one type of. Oh, I, I'm so old school that I actually have a binder. <laughs> I do too. I, I have it. <laughs> I write all my recipes down and then I transfer them to my computer. I print them out and I carry a binder around me like it's, you know, Bible. like it's, yeah, it's crazy. And I won't go anywhere without it, you know, and I have backups of everything, but then I can tweak things on there then. And yes, if it's a good seller or I really love a recipe that goes into the, it has to be perfect to make it into the binder. And I literally carry it from work to home and home to work every day. I love it. So what are your best sellers that you guys actually go to that you know that sell well every day? Or, well, we do or fresh consist- cinnamon rolls every Saturday morning. <laughs> Gluten-free, nut-free, dairy-free, soy-free, egg-free cinnamon rolls. Looks we- like we're going to Morrison this weekend. <laughs> come early. Yeah, come early. We sell out. Uh, we try to do fresh soft pretzels on Friday afternoons. Our, we have pumpkin crunch muffins and lemon loaf and lemon blueberry muffins that sell really well. Our bagels are killer, so they sell out all the time. Our dairy-free, gluten-free, nut-free fudge brownies are amazing. So there's certain things that, you know, now we're at the point where people are disappointed, like, what, you don't have any brownies? So we try to keep certain things in stock, and then there's other things that try to come up with a new cookie that might just be random or whatever. But, yeah, the, the brownies, our breads, our cinnamon rolls, those are all really good sellers. And so do you guys, ha- I mean, as you look to the future, what are kind of the growth things you're interested in? I mean, my mind's going crazy of all the different things I can imagine for you, but, you know, I don't want to put my stuff on you. <laughs> great. If you could uh, send me a list, that would be fantastic. Okay, great. <laughs> no, there, so, so how do you scale something like this? Um, you know, there's a, a lot of different things. Do you open multiple locations? Do you franchise it out? Do you try to, you know, get one or two products into grocery stores or Whole Foods or natural grocers? Um, we have no background in this whatsoever. If you said, I can't uh, get off the floor, my back hurts, I'm your guy. But you say, <laughs> how are we going to scale this bakery? And it's, it's hard because when you look at commissaries or co-packers, our, our facilities is unique in that there's never gluten or never a nut in the facility. That's why people, parents in particular, you know, trust us. They understand. It's, when you understand the food allergy or the autoimmune thing, 
it's important. Like you said earlier, you know, if I eat gluten, I'm not doing good, but I can eat it when I go to Europe. Or Our facility is clean, and people know that. We know how important it is. Anaphylactic reactions to food are too, too serious to not take seriously. Yeah. I mean, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in for a second. I mean, so we have large facilities and, uh, to be gluten-free, you can have your facility. This is just for the audience. So they know you can have a facility that is certified as gluten-free, and then you can literally put a stamp on every product you have as certified gluten-free. So when you go to the grocery store and it says gluten-free, that means its ingredients are gluten-free. It does not mean that it's coming from a certified uh, gluten-free facility, nor is that product certified. So if we were to produce in one of our facilities a certified gluten-free product, the only way we can do it is every single batch we make, considering there is gluten in the facility, that means it goes through the HVAC systems. You know, you can't just get rid of it. You know, there might be chicken noodle soup with noodles in it that have gluten in it being boiled in a kettle. So in order for us to have a certified gluten-free product, it has to, every batch has to be tested and it goes down to parts per million. So it's a super high threshold because people with celiac, it's that, it's that imperative that it be that stringent. So when you guys say that there is no gluten in your building, I mean, just curious, have you guys had your facility certified as certified gluten-free? You might want to do that just because then you can literally stamp every single product you have as certified gluten-free. And so, um, just a little tidbit but also for the audience so they know that because we've had people come to us wanting us to co-package for them and if it needs to be certified gluten-free it it doesn't make any sense for us to do that for them because the cost of testing every single batch is cost prohibitive to the end user to them to us to everyone so anyway that might be a great thing for you guys to go Mm -hmm. ahead and and have done because it's a one-time cost an annual thing that you just maintain and show all of that. But. Yeah, and we've never done it on a podcast, but there's um, a little bit of one of those things, and I'm just going to ask questions, and we don't need answers, but just things to think about, because I have been in restaurants and food trucks, and we've had various subsidiaries and stuff like that over the years, but one of the problems with growth is, is how do you stay true to yourself, because you have all these unique things you do every holiday, so that's one. How do you stay true to you guys and the authenticity that you guys put out there, You know, and that's a question that anyone should ask themselves when they grow a business, because I know from our own perspectives, how do you keep that culture? And then if you two are the the people behind it as the entrepreneurs, how do you get other people to do it the way you do it? Because no one's ever going to do it the way or care about you the way you care about you and your products and all of that. And we run in the, into that a lot in co-packaging. You know, we, in our own business, we're like, you have to produce it to our employees you have to produce it the way the food entrepreneur coming to us wants it done and co-package it. Like they're putting their heart and soul to it. You have to feel what it's like to be them in order to make it. And I hate to say it, but love needs to be put in the food. And it really <laughs> is there because these people built it through love. And so it's hard to do that. And the other thing is, um, just on Deborah's topic, is there really aren't any – it's very few and far between facilities that are – all completely allergy free like we said we can certify it with testing but to actually have a door and um, actually have a location sorry or a place I don't know why I said door um, that has nothing related to allergies I mean there might be opportunity there I don't know where you just have a facility and people come to you have you also co-packaged or stuff because I don't know but just throwing out brainstorm ideas and you guys it's yours do what you want but 
the opportunity there, like Deborah said, in our business, and we see commissaries all the time, it's, there's really no one out there anymore that's completely allergy-free in their facility. So I don't know, just wanted to throw that out there for the audience. And, um, and um, the, so I, my next question is this, is we talked a little bit about growth, and we talked a little bit about um, what that means for you guys, but you know, and we talked about your most popular items. So what do you feel like your next steps have to be in the near future? And, and what are some of the things that you've had success in so far in growing the business? I mean, do you market? I mean, do you, is social media your best platform? I mean, things like that. We, we've really grown. I try to explain to Nicole, this is not how people open a business. You just don't hang your shingle, turn the open light on, and all of a sudden people flock to you. And you're their happy place every day. It's not usually how it works. So I don't think we've spent $5 on marketing. We have an amazing... Uh, so we, st- we just started posting things. We'd post pictures or we'd make quirky little videos. And people really liked it. And every morning, whatever I bake fresh, I take a picture of, try to take a creative picture of and send it to our yes. marketing girl. So we were doing it on our own. We were not very good at it. But it was still working. <laughs> And then just a patron of the bakery uh, sort of does that for a living. A little, and she took it over. And so she was like our fir- maybe our first employee, second employee. And her name, uh, Jackie, she does an amazing job. Like she is always on it. And she's got, I don't have an Instagram account. I've never been on Instagram. And she's like, <laughs> you need to be it. on Instagram. I'm like, if you can make that happen, that'd be great. And so she's grown this following by a lot of uh, food bloggers will contact us and then sort of have this little relationship where we'll get them some stuff, they write about it. I mean, it's, it's really grown fantastically just through social media. If we didn't, I guess that's our only real... That's really, and then word of mouth, you know, and Jackie entered us, we, she, she's always looking for ways to, you know, promote us, so she entered us into a the best allergy-friendly bakery, the 5280 Colorado Parent Magazine. So she entered us into that and then asked people to vote. So we won Best Allergy-Friendly Bakery last year in our first year in business. So that was exciting. That's huge. Yeah, Yeah, that's amazing. There's so many of those little things that have come out that, I mean, we do Flavor Georgia in Georgia and see people win. But here at the 5280 Magazine, we just had did Early Bird Restaurant, and they were the best waffles in, in Denver. But the opportunities like that are huge. And I think... Social media, and I think we have a lot of people that come on the podcast while they have someone pushing their social media, they don't actually spend any money on marketing and advertising in newspapers anymore. And and it's free and it's out there. So why spend excessive amount of money on marketing when really if you can get people to buy in and invest on social media, they, they sort of emotionally tie in. And then what you guys are doing, I mean, I don't, it's not common to have a completely gluten-free, nut-free soy-free, milk, dairy-free, I think you said also. <laughs> I can't name them all, yeah. but um, I'll twist my tongue. Mm-hmm. And But I think it's really cool that you guys are doing it, and it's definitely something that attracted me to you guys to ask you is how well the social media is done and, and obviously what you're doing with your products. So like I mentioned earlier, um, 
so as a family, how do you guys, you have three children, I believe you said, and, and now both of you are full-time in the business. So do you have a way and one opens and one closes? What are your business hours? I guess it's the first part of the question. But the second part is, is how do you make sure you guys have that time together? Make sure your kids still can make it to all their sports practices we talked about <laughs> and school and all of that. So how do you juggle that as two entrepreneurs? I mean, obviously you work well together and the chemistry is great. We can see it across the room here on the, on your microphones, but how do you juggle all of that and succeed? Well, that's the hard part. Uh, the family dynamic definitely suffered in the beginning. I mean, we would come home when we first opened and the production compared to what we do now was, you know, much less. And we would just collapse on the floor like our kid take a picture of us we're both asleep he's like it's 6 30 <laughs> i passed out i lost you know i was i'm a little bit of a control freak and that's why i like to be in charge of everything at the bakery and make sure everything's good and i was a control freak at home and i would get home and i didn't know homework was due i stopped making bre- lunches he you know i made breakfast every day and made kids lunch every day and ran everything and did all the dentists and all of a sudden he has to take over in the mornings, and I'm going in early, and it was a major life shift. Jeremy always says that I'm a ready, fire, aim kind of girl, because I literally, I jump in head first, and then I'm like, oh, I should have thought about that a little bit better, and that's what I did with the bakery, and it's worked out great, but it really was an entire shift for the entire family. So yeah, we, every day I have to look at the schedule. So-and-so has a dentist appointment, we've got two lacrosse games and a track practice and a football thing, and can you do this and I'll do this, and it's definitely a balance, for but, sure. But it's gotten better. Um, we, we have a cabin down in the, in the mountains, and we used to go a lot. And then this last year, we haven't gone that much, but we, we now just plan things. We plan on going, like we're gonna go for spring break, we're going to close the bakery, right, for three or four days, we tell, we tell all the client base, you know, through social media, and largely they're very understanding and encouraging that, you know, because it is a, a personality kind of based thing, people know us. Um, we know them. We, we use a lot of first names when people walk into the bakery. And so if we say, hey, we're going to be closed, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday next week, we're going to go hang out with the kids. Most everybody has their own kids or their kids are grown and, and they're like, you need to go do that. You guys are always here. So we really appreciate that uh, about our clientele is that they understand that, you know, we have a young family and uh, nothing's worth not spending time with my family. And like he said, we're not, we're not a Safeway. We're not a 7-Eleven. So we have kind of funky hours. We open at 11 on Tuesdays and Fridays. We close at 5.30 those days. And then we're open 9 to 4, Wednesday, Thursday, 9 to 1 on Saturday. But we also have to balance that and the kids and hope that people are understanding when we say, look, we're actually going to change. We're going to have some summer hours or we're going to close for a couple days to try to, to try to balance this out. Cause we burn out because we are a small business and we just do all the work, you know, Yourself. with our employees, but we're a small family run business. Do you guys have online sales? Can people buy your stuff online? No, no. we haven't figured out. I haven't figured out how to even produce enough to be able to ship it. I mean, we have, we have people that come from all over the country and that they we're on their list of places to stop, which is, which is very cool. But we, in order to ship it or produce it, we haven't figured out the packaging. You know, we just haven't figured out how right. to, how to ship stuff yet. Yeah. Not we're, sure what we're going to do. We're in a few local coffee shops and restaurants that share some of our products. So that, that's actually a, a big burden on the, on us 
because we have to produce a lot for them. Um, but we and then it. special orders for cupcakes and things like that for birthdays. And then just your daily production. But interesting, like, like she, what she just said, as a destination, like we get people. Our stuff has been shipped from Kansas to Canada to Iceland, right? Mm-hmm. It was Iceland. Somebody <laughs> cool. came in. They're like, will you ship it? I'm like, no, but you can ship it there. You right. Know? Um, I've had people bring an entire suitcase in and yeah. they just buy the products and ship. Well, it's the huge. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. for people who need these products, I shouldn't say need because you know you can live without baked goods, but it sure does change the quality of life, right? Yeah. Like, sure. let's be honest. If you can't eat a cookie, I mean, cookies are my favorite snack, and if right. I couldn't eat cookies, that would <laughs> be really sad. My I life mean, would be miserable if Deborah couldn't eat cookies. It's <laughs> true, you know. So I can see why people do that. I mean, it's and so I mean. You know, and that's why I ask a little bit, like in terms of growth. I mean, and I think when you guys look at that, because you're saying, oh, well, I'd love your ideas. But I think the ultimate thing is you have to start with what is it you want from it? You know what I mean? Like, what is the goal that works for you guys and your family? And like, what is it you want? And then from there, you can kind of tailor what that looks like, who your clients are, how big you get, how, you know, what does that look like? I mean, I definitely had a point in my life when, um, I was looking at growth in a company I had and it, it meant, you know, I could, I was like, well, what's the upside? I mean, it was going to mean a lot of downsides, but I was like, what's the upside and the upside, the things that were there for me weren't important to me. And so I chose not to grow, you know, at that point in my life, because my kids were younger at that point. So, you know, you really have to do things that make sense for you. And so, you know, that's why I'm like, Hey, you know, what is it you're thinking? But, you know, and, and then the growth model, that's just, you can figure it out. It's a logical step. But first I think you start out what works for you guys and your family. Right. And as we have more, you know, we, we love being in coffee shops and we love being able to say, you can go to like Atlas Coffee or like you said, Bean Foster's or there's a restaurant in Morrison, Bezo that, that carries our bread or 5280, you know, 5281. Right. And that's, that's great. And as we've gotten used to that, we weren't used to it at first and we were producing all this more stuff. And like you said, it was a burden because we didn't know how to handle it. And then as we get more coffee shops and we've streamlined our systems, it's become much, much easier. So adding more coffee shops could be a growth, you know, and now that we've gotten used to that or more restaurants, we just, we don't really know what the future holds at this point, really. Well, and baked goods, it adds a whole new element, right? Because you have a shelf life issue, right? Yes. And so, but if you froze it, I mean, and each one has its own, like some things freeze better than others. And so kind of looking at that. So some items, you know, if you went straight from production into a freezer, that could work, you know, but then... Yeah, we, that, that is how is all, that how all of our stuff uh, f- freezes great. And so that, that, you know, for people that are gluten-free, that... We get a lot of mountain people that come down from Conifer and Bailey and, and Crested Beauty. Even. Right. And, you know, they buy a bunch of stuff and then they keep it in their freezer. So all of our stuff does freeze well. But then, you know, when you're in the coffee shop, like uh, I think it's over at Bean Foster's and Golden, you know, they're going to heat up a scone for somebody, mm-hmm. or, you know, and it's just like you have a fresh baked scone. Right. Well, that was the original model. Everything I made, I made it and then I froze it. So then originally that was, you know, we have two freezers in the front that are self-serve freezers. So we bake things and some things go directly into the freezer. Some things get set out as fresh, but I don't use any preservatives, chemicals, artificial colors, sweeteners, nothing like that. So it is actually better to freeze it and it maintains the freshness. And then you thaw it on your counter or you thaw it in the microwave or oven and it's just like it was fresh. 
So how did you get the green color then for St. Patrick's Day without any artificial coloring? It's not exactly the most vibrant green that you're probably picturing <laughs> in, your, in your mind's green, eye. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I use all organic coloring. So I spend time mixing my blue and my yellow like a chemistry project <laughs> to get a nice awesome. color of green. Or if something is pink in the bakery, it's because it has cherries or strawberries or... All the sprinkles I would use on cupcakes are naturally flavored with beet juice or, you know, turmeric or whatever it is. So we, I don't, I just refuse to compromise on the quality of the ingredients and how it looks and how it tastes and, you know, no matter how much time or effort goes into it. You know, the beet juice thing, that's hysterical. When my kids were little, I was, you know, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld's wife. I think she came out with Uh a cookbook and she was saying how you could sneak vegetables in and your kids wouldn't know. And so (laughs) I made uh, pancakes that had beets in it and they're like, oh, it's, you know, she's like saying, oh, it's so great. And they're pink and whatever. My kids were like, they just one. It did not go over well. They were like one hundred percent knew there were beets in it. They were like, "No, that's disgusting." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Our goal is that it tastes so good that you could serve it at a dinner party and not even tell people it's gluten free or dairy free. That everybody can eat it and everybody can enjoy it. Everybody's eating the same food, and there's not, you know, some kid in the corner eating a rice cake because he can't have the cupcakes. That we just want everybody to enjoy the same thing, and and yeah, not be. You know, we have people that literally will walk in and say, ugh, your whole store's gluten-free? Gross. (laughs) And they'll walk out and I'll say, no, just try a brownie or try a cookie because I really think you'll like it. And if you don't like it, you can tell me. I'm okay with that. So we we want everything to taste delicious and everybody to enjoy. It's just going to be hard to get a bright neon blue cupcake right. at our place <laughs> that's not something you're gonna have no. yeah we don't do i don't do cakes i don't do themes i don't do princess or barbie or you know, ninja turtle anything like that i just focus on the 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 basics oh i almost cried there when she said she didn't do ninja turtles <laughs> <laughs> he is a fan no sure. but i think it is a good thing and just so the audience know beat are actually a great producer of sugar naturally and giving a sugar flavor. I assume that's how you're using it with when you mentioned the sprinkles and things like that, that it has a, a sugary taste to it. Well, the beet juice gives it, gives it the color. Yeah. The color. Yeah. That's the yeah. natural red. Yeah. Okay. The natural red or the, you know, pinks or yellows. Yeah. I don't, use, I don't try to sneak, not sneaking spinach into the brownies, <laughs> right. not sneaking beets into the, you know, the bunt cakes it's or anything like that. Um, just yeah, just natural. Yeah, we had a customer, and the only reason I brought us, we had a customer who made were they brownies? They were uh, brownies, and they used beet sugar and beets, mm-hmm. but the brownies turned out red, which made them a little bit weird. But um, but they did taste good and taste like sugar. She Deborah didn't like them. I love them, but that's a whole different thing. So, and I don't really, I'm not a, I don't have a sweet tooth like Deborah does. So there is a difference there. I'm a whole foods meals type of person and i don't go i just don't go that direction also why i picked you guys to be on the podcast i'm like we need to go there so i can get (laughs) deborah to go places when i bring them on the podcast so you need to head west on mineral come over to morrison and try our brownies i definitely will (laughs) i am a big fan of sweets yeah yeah i think sweets are friends a little adventure this weekend and try those cinnamon rolls Mm -hmm. and so um i want to touch on the coloring a little bit so Tell us a little bit more about that. I mean, there's a lot of colors in the color palettes and why it may not be vibrant. I think it's an interesting topic. So it's like blueberries make the blue and beets make the red. And then how do you get a yellow that you mix with the blue to get a green? And so do you just concentrate on the primary colors then and then mix from there like you're an artist? Well, and so there's a, there's a company that makes 
organic, natural flavorings like India tree or certain that I have to make sure that are nut free and that are safe. So I start with those basic things. But when our, when our middle son was really young, we used to, you know, tell people kind of joking at first and then realizing he's allergic to artificial colors. He, and we would give our kids, they would it'd be Halloween or something and they would literally get angry and be bouncing off the walls and go nuts. So we stopped giving them artificial colors way before we start, stopped doing gluten just because we didn't think it was good. And doing the research and knowing the, how it affects the brain, and I didn't want to put that in my, our bodies or our children's bodies. So I've been anti-artificial anything for forever. So when we opened the bakery, I knew you know, it would be a lot easier if I could use blue dye or red dye or sprinkles and make it super colorful and fun. But... I, like I said, if I can use, I can reduce blueberries or I can, I make a, a homemade raspberry combo and that's what gets folded into the raspberry lemon muffins and, you know, everything just supernatural or with a little bit of help from the, the natural sprinkles to, to, for fun colors, but it's not vibrant, but it's still fun. But when you look at like one of the best sellers is like the, the bunt cakes that she makes. And if you're going to get a, a raspberry bunt cake, when you pick that thing up, you see chunks of raspberry just yeah. swirled into it. And when you show it to people, you're like, I always do this. I'm like, look at that. Look at that. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it looks so good. But you, because you see it, it's real. It's food. You know, it's not some orange dust sprinkled on a corn chip. And, you know, it's just, it's real food. You talked about putting love into everything. And that's how, you know, I'll even, I've even said before, so I'm not, I'm not in the right space to make this right now because I need to put love into it. I need to, <laughs> I need to get out of this, you know, because that's how it is. Everything is handmade with love, with care, and, you know, handmade, handmade jams. And we make turnovers occasionally. And, you know, it, whatever, whatever comes to mind that is, that is fun, that is delicious, and, you know, whatever, whatever we feel like making. We've used those words a lot, actually, when people are like, how do you make these soft pretzels how are these gluten-free magic and love love and magic yeah <laughs> and we did a whole motivational monday on it actually and love through food and um but it is a difference and i've been in the food industry long enough to know the difference and people that actually really care about their food when they come to us to co-package food versus people that are just trying to make a quick buck and and not only do i notice the difference but customers knows the difference the end eaters or whatever i was going to say end users but technically they're consuming and consumers um they they do know a difference and i think that's part of your guy's success because i can see how much you care about what you're doing and obviously it's impacted your family so all the more so that being said is that your i mean what's your motivation i mean how do you i mean obviously running a business is not great and both of you now being in the business what inspires you guys what motivates you to keep coming into the office every day or bakery every day and uh so how do you i mean what is it i mean what drives you guys you know it's really it's really hard work it's probably the one of the hardest things i've ever done and but i like you said i we love it we're passionate on well, he kind of got dragged into it he's kind of he's he knows it's important and passionate about it as well but it really is the happy faces that we see the tears the people that Literally, like they'll ask, they they'll ask fifty questions. Are you sure this is gluten free? And what is there sesame? Is there whatever? And for us to be able to say this is a safe environment for you and your family, and to create an experience when people walk in the door, like Jeremy said, we're, hopefully we can greet you by name. We can you know tailor you know tailor serve you so that you feel comfortable and you know things are safe to to have fun and eat yummy food for your family. That's the, those tears of joy or those appreciative words make it all worth it and our kids are really 
No, I think they're kind of impressed that we opened this business and that it's successful and it's fun and they know how hard we work and how important it is to all of us. Well, I wanted to ask you a question a little bit on the personal side. So, I mean, obviously this is how your bakery is and I'm presuming it's how your house is. So I'm presuming you at home, you eat very healthy and clean and keep gluten out of your house as well. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And so just curious, I mean, have you thought at all about doing like pastas and stuff that are a dry product? Do you make them for yourselves at home or... I used to cook a lot more before I opened the <laughs> I'm sure. And now right? sometimes it's a whole food rotisserie chicken that, you know, this is dinner. Right. Uh, we, we have to, it's that whole how much time and effort is going to go into it. There's certain things. We used to make handmade tortillas and That's griddle, it. you know, cut them, griddle, grill them ha- by hand and realize that those two hours sold out in five minutes. So there's certain things that just don't know, make like sense. Like things like pasta. We would love to make, I'd love to make other things, but sometimes we just can't. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to make to put that much time and effort right. into certain things. Yeah, or yeah. To be able to mass produce it. Or, that makes sense, yeah. right? Because you think of like a box of pasta, whatever you can sell a muffin for the same price as an entire box of pasta. Right. And now, I mean, when I started out, I was making six bagels at a time, or we were making, you know, I was making a dozen cupcakes at a time. And now, with my bake ovens, I've had to, you know, that was part of the learning curve was mass, you know, increasing the recipes and doing it by weights and figuring out all the numbers and. Can I make 48 muffins at one time? That makes a lot more sense than me making six. You know, right. I have to use my time wisely so I'm not there. You know, in the beginning, we were there for 12, 14 hours a day. And now we've got it more streamlined and we're doing a little bit better. We have a history of eating clean. You know, right. that comes from our background in nutrition, yeah, which is years. pretty right. extensive. So we have freezers full of pastured bison or pig or lamb. We eat a lot of vegetables. And, you know, not as much um, grains, if you will. Right. And that's grains what, or that's what our kids are sugars, yeah. And so, our, so, when you say, you know, the family, how do they deal with it? You know, and the kids are like, can I have these Doritos? Yeah. No, we're full of excitotoxins. <laughs> right. They have the MSG in them, they're going to make your brain crazy. So, you know, we try, to, we try to always have good alternatives, but yes, we eat very clean in the house, and they get lots of treats from the bakery every day. We'll bring them something new from the bakery. I, and I want to touch upon that a little bit and clean it's obviously clean label and no artificial ingredients and, and grains. Um, it's one of the things that we find, and at least as we're in the food business, grains also, they're hidden sugars and complex carbs and things that don't do well for your body and your gut, especially and, and things like that. So I want to touch upon that for the audience, but I also want to touch upon artificial ingredients as a whole. And a lot of artificial ingredients are there to just extend shelf life. They don't add any benefit to the food other than making it live longer. And I know there are studies on this. You bury a human body that has eaten a lot of artificial ingredients. They decay it takes them longer to decay and naturally go into the ground. And it's kind of a scary thing. I know that's one of the things I always remember. Like I just, when I'm dead, don't let my body keep preserving because I ate a bunch of artificial ingredients. <laughs> and one of the things that we're seeing in, in our business side, and I, because I think what you're doing is so important. The audience needs to know that artificial ingredients aren't necessary. The, you look at the back of the label. We don't need to eat that food. The reason it's there is because that company's trying to, trying to profit through extending shelf life and that's a money-based thing that's not a health human consumption 
better my diet thing. And, and a lot of times what people don't know is that the longer you extend shelf life, the actual nutritional value of food actually decreases. It does decrease. And so your nutritional labels on your food, if that food's not fresh, it often is that nutritional label was done when the food was first cooked or first picked off the tree or first killed as an animal. So the longer that it's out, freezing, minus freezing, because freezing can can sustain that or uh, stabilize it, that you lose nutritional value. So a lot of what we're seeing in this country is hunger and all that and people consuming more. Well, it it's kind of a eating healthy problem for sure, but really what it is is we're not getting the nutrition we need from our food and we're putting crap in the food and therefore we're still hungry because our body's still yearning for the nutrition, not for the food. And that's where we sort of, oh, I'm hungry. Well, why are you hungry? Are you not getting the nutrients you need out of the food, the vitamins, the minerals, the things like that? And so we consume more, especially as Americans. And people are like, oh, well, Europeans, it's because they walk all the time that they're in better shape. Are they, you know, but really it's because they buy their food more often. They're at the grocery store every day. They're buying fresher products. They don't process the foods the way we do. They don't use artificial ingredients the way we do. And so, I mean, milk aside, which is a little weird that, but milk shelf stable, but still, um, it's one of those things that if we want to be better as human beings and live longer and have healthier lives, you got to minus the artificial ingredients out of your food because it's not good for us. And a lot of it is, is there are natural ways to extend shelf life. And I'll let Deborah talk a little bit about it because I want the high pressure processing just so the audience is educated on the new (laughs) thing that's coming out just because I think it's important that we're talking about it. Um, I don't know if it would work for baked goods, but no, anyway, but high pressure processing, what it is, is it's a technology and basically you take your finished product. So, and then you put it and it's packaged and you put it into this vessel that then water comes into it and 87,000 PSI of pressure is put upon this food. And what it does is it, uh, it stops, it interrupts the path, the growth of pathogens. And so it is a way to extend your shelf life without putting any preservatives in. Mm -hmm. So you see it a lot in the products that you see on the periphery of the grocery store. And it's, there's a cost to it. There's tolling stations where people bring products in, whether it's meats, whether it's, you know, cold pressed juices, whatnot. And they put it through these machines and they pay per pound depending on the product and whatnot. And anyway, and then that extends their shelf life. And so for a lot of companies, that's an important thing. And I wonder if it would work for you guys. Um, although, you know, you have a lot of things in your food that does probably doesn't grow a pathogen and it might become stale prior to any risk of a health right. type of thing. Is that, I would imagine, is your scenario? Well, we've, we've been saying for 20 years, if you can't read it, don't eat it. So right. if you're looking at the back of a label and you cannot read the ingredients, it should not go into your body. So you're in our ingredients, you're going to be able to read everything. There's no potassium bromate. There's no EDTA. There's no MSG. And that's why we use the freezer model. You know, we make it. And people say, when was this made? I said, well, it was made two days ago and immediately put in the freezer. So it's as, you know, as fresh as can be to take it out. Or I made it this morning. I made it an hour ago and I just put it into the bakery case. So yeah, artificial, we don't use anything artificial and you're right. It's preserving the bodies and we don't want to do that. We just want to serve the freshest ingredients and that's what we do at home too. We don't want anything artificial at our house either. So I wanted to switch gears a little bit because you guys mentioned earlier that you had someone who helps you with your social media, but I'm also curious, do you have other employees and 
you know, because that's a definitely a tricky one when you get into the having employees and, you know, finding people and what are kind of your criteria when you look at bringing people in, all of that. So funny you bring that up. <laughs> currently in the uh, process of going Flux. through, yeah, finding new people. We, we think we found a really good employee. We only have two employees, two right. part-time employees, right? And so one, Cecilia is great. She's leaving. She's right. moving on to the next phase of our life, going to have start a family. Um, and Christine, who is our other employee, part-time, because she also has young kids. And although she has the capacity to grow into, you know, being more responsible as far as taking duties away from us, she doesn't have the life space right now for right. that. And so we have a new employee that we're hoping that we can bring along into um, sort of a, a growth position quickly that she could, you know, someday if somebody was in there that we felt good about while we were sleeping and they were making, you know, something with love and magic in it, <laughs> that's, that'd be a short-term goal. <laughs> but there's that whole tricky thing about being as passionate as we are and you know, in the bakery, there are there are eggs in the bakery, but we make a lot of egg-free products. So I have a whole system. Everything that's purple never touches eggs or dairy. Right. So employees have to know that. So that's I do the egg-free cooking because I don't want anything to ever get cross-contaminated. You have to make sure that the labels are on properly. That you know, when we when we label our products or things aren't touching each other, we have a whole side of a freezer that never has egg in it. Like so, it's a whole system that. I kind of watch over, you know, both of us to make sure that it gets done properly. So that's that whole trust issue of us not being there and making sure that things get done well. But we love our employees. I don't know. I don't know how we did it in the beginning without them because they make our lives a lot easier. Right. And we, you know, are constantly looking for, for the right fit. Well, and employees are tricky, right? You know, because on one side, it's like there are certain things we don't like to do in our jobs. And every, for everyone, it's different, right? Like some people love doing accounting, other people hate it. And so, you know, it's one, it's like, do you get rid of the things you don't like? Or do you get rid of the things that are affecting your timeline? And with every person that you bring in, you know, it's one taking away from your bottom line. And so there's a balancing act of like, what can we afford to do? And, you know, so it's definitely, and then you guys have a whole nother added step to the whole thing in terms of a quality thing. I mean, I guess everyone has a quality issue, you know, as to what their employees are putting, bringing to the table and whatnot. But yours is definitely shown through every bite, you know, if something didn't go right. And it is a complete science. I mean, things can go south pretty quickly in baking. So, you know, especially if they're on the production floor, that's oh, yeah. a challenge. Well, we, you know, when we start giving more responsibilities out and then all of a sudden there's a, a dry mix, you know, for whatever pretzels and the pretzels aren't coming out and then we have to trace it back. Uh Oh, it's the whole dry mix, you know, and they have to fix that. But another dynamic that you don't think about until, until you're in it, we're in a 950 square foot facility. It's tight. Yeah. It's compact. And you know, so we've done it so much that when she goes right, I go left, you know, and you, you have to get this flow. Right. And when things are flowing, it's awesome. <laughs> and when things aren't flowing, it's not that great. It has to be a personality fit as well. Right. You have to, you have to like each other. Cause we spend a lot of time in a small space 
on top of each other, putting, you know, putting things away or cleaning or labeling or baking or whatever it is. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Yeah. You know, you mentioned dry mix and, um, I, I'm really glad you said that because I was wanting to ask you that as well in terms of a product line. Have you guys thought about doing dry mixes where people can just add whatever ingredients and you sell that? Because that's definitely something easier to ship and get your product nationwide. But have you considered that avenue when I first started I did dry mixes I did oh, really? you know, a cookie mix or whatever and then it, it just got tricky for if you add if you if you use a dry mix and you add two tablespoons extra milk and then it's runny and then that product turns out badly then it reflects on reflects on me you know it's because because it is a science but like Jeremy said too if it's cloudy that day or if it's whatever if their barometric pressures change I feel like the recipe changes and because I'm such a control freak, I like everything to be actually perfect. Okay. Um, so it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility for dry mix. I sell my, you know, my basic, we call it my AF blend, my allergy-free blend um, to some people. But uh, I, used to sell, I used to sell a ton of different dry mix. So what's, what's the blend? So you can use it for making a roll or making a pancake or that type of thing? It's just the basic, as if you if you'd go and just get a basic gluten-free flour, you know, King Arthur or Namaste, right. or all these different companies that have the gluten-free blend. So we just have that, it's our basic plan and I add xanthan, so there's a binder in it, but then mm -hmm. you would use that and then use your muffin recipe or whatever you have at home. I see. Yeah, and then that way people can kind of work from there. They have their flour substitute right. to use. Mm -hmm. And so what, so what were the ingredients you guys use in so it? So it's sorghum, brown rice, sweet rice, and tapioca is our base. Okay. And then I have a bunch of dry mixes that we use just to make life easier. I didn't have them at first, and then I've realized if I can have my cupcake mixes and my pretzel mix and my bread mix all ready to go. We probably have 15 or 20 different dry mixes at the bakery that I start with my base and I know what's in it. So all those dry mixes have, maybe some has a little potato starch or a little millet flour or certain things that right. I needed to add to give the right texture to the right product. Yeah. And so you probably never use like an almond flour since you're nut free, nut -free right? Yeah. yeah. We get a lot yeah. of requests for keto uh -huh. or, you know, or paleo right. and I don't use almond flour. Coconut flour can be tricky because a lot of it's contaminated. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm experimenting with cassava to uh -huh. make, I have a cassava flour grain free brownie <laughs> right now. We came across cassava because we had someone wanting to make a Brazilian cheese bread. And so I don't know if you've ever had that, but yes. have you? Yeah. And so anyway, we were talking to a client about it and I didn't know what cassava was in prior. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm, I mean, I'm trying to use that to create products to have a grain free lower. I use coconut sugar, cassava, you know, that kind of thing to make it a lower sugar paleo product. But it is tougher. Like you were alluding to before uh, in your facilities to be gluten free certified. Right, so to source every product that we get, it's tough to be a nut-free, a gluten-free. Uh... So tell us about that a little bit, because procurement, I'm, it's a major part of any food business, and I don't think people understand the amount of time and effort that has to go in procurement and making sure ingredients are to the quality and standard that you want, let alone the allergy now sensitivity that you guys are talking about. So how do you go about that? It's a lot of research. You know, I wear a lot of different hats, and that was part of the I'd research. This company would say, "Oh, it's in the same facility or the same line as you know tree nuts or whatever." So I'd have to get rid of that, and I found some safe brands. So right now, that's a lot of the tricky part is the inventory. We use Dawn Foods to source some, but they don't have safe products in certain lines. So then I have to go to three or four different companies to order different things. So that's constantly staying on top of we're out of bags, we're out of sorghum flour, we're out of this sugar. You know, between 
a restaurant source kind of place and three or four different companies trying to balance all of what we're out of and where we need to order it from is also tricky. But we had to, it was a lot of research on, is this actually a safe product? Can I actually have this in the bakery and still it be safe? So when you did the soda bread, for example, you, you come up with it, you know, St. Patrick's Day is coming. You've got to go find ingredients then that you don't normally carry. And so how are you just make sure that whatever you're sourcing, you already have, I mean, whatever you're going to make for that holiday, you already have in house. Right. So I, when we get our bags of flour or 50 pound bags of flour that's my crossfit workout i call it bakery crossfit <laughs> at the bakery. I like it so i'm lifting 50 pound bags of flour you know and we're using i i know which flours i have and i probably have 10 different kinds of flours or you know flax meal or certain certain things that would go in and i just look at a recipe and i'll know if i have it so usually i have the ingredients and it's all about different proportions one tablespoon extra potato starch or extra baking soda for the soda bread or certain things like that that I can create recipes from what I have in the bakery already. Yeah, I think that's awesome because, um, well, one, in food, waste is a big problem. So sometimes you bring in stuff just to produce a special for the holidays or, in our case, a holiday meal, and then you're left with the waste. And that's, like, that's loss. That's money down the tubes. Um, So um, I want to ask this question. So how did you choose Morrison in your location? Was it just the (laughs) right place? Or how did – because, you know, it's not – as metropolitan as say Littleton or Denver, but obviously you're doing well there. So it's panned out well, but so how did you choose your location? So we had, we chose a different location. We chose uh, a suite that was right, literally right next to my chiropractic office suites that you can own. Uh, once we started bringing engineers in, looking at that, we discovered quickly that that building was not logistically set up to have, floor drains or a a rooftop unit on it so some patients at the time owned a uh, pretty iconic sub shop in colorado it's called tommy's subs and they're like you should you should move in our spot we're moving down to the end of this little strip mall and they're doubling in size and i went over and looked at it and it was just we just had to gut it you know, been a sub shop for 30 years. So we put, just ripped everything out and built it up as our, as our bakery. And it's a surprisingly busy little area. This little, when you say Morrison, like you're a Colorado guy. So you think of like the town of Morrison, but we're, you know, right off the highway, easy on, easy off. And, um, I don't know, it's worked out great. It's a little small at this point. You know, when we're running around pre-Christmas and I hear her say out loud five times, we need more ovens. But um, as far as look, it's pretty, right? You look out your front windows and you've got the vistas of the hogbacks right there. It's it's gorgeous. So, uh, and and it's really close to our house, right? It's a 13 minute commute. Oh, that's 15 if there's traffic. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that's my thing. I mean, we have, our kids are now 11, 13, and 15. So they're still... You know, they're still young, and I had to be able... I couldn't be 45 minutes away, or both of us, and say, someone needs to be picked up at school, because my family is my priority first. Right. So we wanted it somewhere close. So I kind of had a... I was hoping a 15 to 20-minute vicinity. And this just... Yeah, it just kind of fell in our lap, and it's really a great location for us. Yeah. My mom says there are no accidents. Right. Yeah. Well, and that's funny, um, and just as a side note, in... You guys grew up on the East Coast as well. You can't go anywhere on the East Coast without tripping over a major metropolitan city. Like, it's literally two hours, maybe even less, 45 minutes in any direction, you're tripping over a huge city. In Colorado, it's Denver, and I don't... 
I don't even know which direction is the next biggest city. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But I love Morrison because it's kind of this small, unique town in some ways. And I'd never been there. The first time I was there, I think it was the Blue Moose. Wasn't that? Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's just, it's really what you think America should be. But growing up on the East Coast, we just don't have that as much anymore. The small towns, maybe in parts of Pennsylvania and New Jersey and and things like that. And in D.C., you kind of have your small, iconic towns like Morrison. But it's more like I feel like you trip over a city everywhere you go. And I grew up on a farm, so I don't particularly like cities that much. Although I lived in New York City for four years, which is why when you said the bagel thing, if you guys were in New Jersey, you know pizza crust and bagels coming out of new york city are the best (laughs) in the world and uh, there's just nothing like it so if it's something good and it's gluten-free and it meets all the allergies i'm like we're we're definitely going because we may have found something that i can enjoy here as well um our our pizza crusts are really awesome too uh, you do have pizza crust oh my gosh i was gonna i was gonna ask and then i'm like yeah maybe (laughs) not and it's funny you mentioned the east coast so jeremy grew up in new jersey i grew up in alberta canada Mm -hmm. we lived out in new jersey for a while um, and when we opened the bakery, we, you know, when you're in, when we lived in New Jersey, there's a bakery on every corner right. and people line up in the morning, you get your stuff. And when they sell out, they sell out. So that's how we kind of designed our bakery here that if we cinnamon rolls, we don't make cinnamon rolls all day on Saturday. I get there at four. I make my giant batch of cinnamon rolls. And when we sell out, we sell out. We're not once again, a safe way. So people will come in and it's disappointed that we're out of bread. And I said, well, it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Right. You know, you need to get here at 10 if you want to get this bread because we designed it after an East Coast bakery. Yeah, and we were just with um, the girls, um, Deborah's daughters, uh, in New York for a weekend. And like the bakeries and the cupcakes, and that's exactly the model. They, they bake them, and when they're out, they're out. You That flavor's out. You can't get any more in. But it's good that way. I mean, people aren't producing just for the sake of producing and then cutting costs because then there's waste that they're wasting donuts at the end of every day. And so it's um, it's one of those things where I think I love what you're doing and I love that model for sure. So my next question because of it is, so you have three kids. Do they work in the business at all or they spend time with you guys on weekends? That's funny. When we first opened, they were all helping. I was... I was doing everything by myself, and then Jeremy would come in and see the giant pile of dishes, and he's, so he started doing the dishes for me, and I would get one or two or three of the kids to come in and put stickers on packages or whatever it was, and then Jeremy transitioned more and more, and then as we got other employees and our kids are really busy, they're not as much, but my son came in the other day, my 15-year-old, and he said, you know what, this is a really cool place to work. Can I work here in the summer? So I think that's the plan is to try to try to get them in the bakery more and more. We're close enough. They, you know, we can get them there to even put in a couple hours and learn, learn how to work hard and learn the business and learn, you know, that it, that it takes a lot of hard work to make things happen. I think it's a great experience. I mean, I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, just farms and Deborah as well. And I don't think there's any experience like it and, and work ethic and, and seeing your parents and modeling for your kids in that way. I mean, it's not something they get in school, that's for sure. And so having that real-life experience, I think, is huge. And especially as they go into college, no matter what they go into, they have that to reflect on, which is a great base for education. I mean, I think it goes a long way, particularly if they want to go into business or anything like that, um, that having the work experience as a family is amazing. The other part I want to... Uh, touch on is um, you know is that maybe part of what your goal is is it to 
to the bakery and maybe pass it on to your kids if that's something they want to do? Have you guys talked about that? I mean, because we hear a lot of that on the podcast. I just wonder if there's maybe dreams of that as well, or any of them have really taken interest in baking or... I'm really surprised at this point that none of our children have expressed an interest like to go into culinary school. I mean, <laughs> we are always just it's cooking. That's all we do is you know cook and prepare stuff, and then we own this business. So I don't know. It's a little early, I think, to project which yeah. path they'll take. Uh, if they had interest in it, you know, I certainly am interested in making them work. Uh, I'm kind of a dinosaur like that. I, I think it's a good are, quality for sure. Yeah, yeah. So if he wants to work and wash some dishes and learn, you know, how to earn a buck, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. I've thought about it just, you know, just briefly. Like, wouldn't it be cool if we could pass down the bakery and they could keep it running? And you know, I don't know. That you know, like you said, they're they're young and we just we don't know which path we're going to take, so we don't know yet. And so, do either one of you? I mean, obviously, you're entrepreneurs and owning your own chiropractic practice but do either one of you guys come from an entrepreneurial background and families and things like that yeah we both do yeah Yeah. our dads both have started several businesses you know been successful in their businesses and i've you know i've always seen hard work and long hours and so has jeremy yeah her father was in oil and gas up in alberta my father you know ran an industrial construction company that's where i grew up when i was my oldest son's age i was in you know, working in furnaces and foundries, and it was awful. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> so then you go from that. See, and you don't complain be, about being a baker. You could right? be in a factory. You'd be a chiropractor for 20 years, and you said that's an entrepreneur. You know, most people don't think about that, but and that was probably the biggest surprise to me was how hard you had to work at the business of being a chiropractor right. to run that business to make it successful. That was the patient care. That was easy. You know, that was just passion and heart for me and I love to learn new things that help people get better but the part of you know running the the business part of it all the time for 20 years that was hard so then you go into the bakery like I said and open up you just say hey we're open today and you hang a shingle and people just start showing up you're like wow this is pretty cool well because there's so (laughs) many chiropractors out there right but we really are a unique niche like how many gluten-free nut-free 99% dairy-free and 50% egg-free bakeries are there around and we really we really take pride in that well one there aren't many and of the ones that there are not all of them are very good you know Mm. like there definitely are products I mean we go to mod market a lot just because we're going through DIA well one I like mod market but two they're at DIA and and concourse B so we go there a lot and Justin will get the gluten-free bread with his sandwiches and it's horrible it falls apart like you just can't eat the sandwich and I'm always like try our bread right yeah and so to find someone who actually has a good bread and like when you're sitting here I'm like you guys need to sell the mod market like that just needs to happen it's one of those things where you uh, you start because the gluten-free stuff is so bad in some of the places we travel or the bagels that you end up just going bunless or breadless and you're just so you become used to it and um so i'm definitely interested in trying it for sure i love that I know, um, I'm thinking if you guys are open so on our way, we drop the dog off on our way, and so we actually round, go 470, so we might just zip off the highway if you yeah, guys are so open. and get breakfast there instead of the airport. <laughs> so we went to Mexico for a family vacation, and we went to this restaurant, and they always say they have gluten-free bread, so we actually ended up doing a video of it, because... You're right. Sometimes you need to go bunless. I picked up the bread and I was going to butter it, and it literally crumbled right. into pieces. And I said, "I'm, I'm not eating that. That's you disgusting. can't eat it. Uh-uh. And especially <laughs> when we get, we're used to our own products, right? Where uh, hopefully you can't tell the difference whether it has gluten or not. So 
Yeah, it was it was gross. And it's a disservice, in my opinion, to gluten free. Like you're creating this terrible image of gluten free bread and gluten free products or soy free or, or nut free products and you're, you're painting people's image that this is what it is and it doesn't need to be that way it doesn't have to be that way yeah. it's just people cutting corners well it's a, it's certainly a lot better than it used to be yeah. right? there's a lot more choices right. and there's some higher quality stuff we always we revel in the compliment it's the best I ever had gluten or no gluten we love when right. people say that. that's my favorite when people come in that have no food allergies and then they're skeptical and then they come back and, and pick it back. anyway yeah right exactly yeah that's awesome and it is amazing to me that the stuff on the shelves that we'll buy occasionally if we're at the you know if we're on vacation or whatever and I'm I can't believe this made it to a grocery store shelf this is awful right yeah, yeah we were like she said we were in this fancy french restaurant and they came around with a beautiful bread selection five or six different kinds of breads none of them gluten-free and then we said do you have any gluten-free bread and, and they brought us like a piece of white toast or something that was just <laughs> awful and so you know if you come to our place and you're gonna have some sort of uh red sauce or something and you can get a nice airy a piece of focaccia bread, beautifully seasoned with rosemary yeah. and olive oil and salt. I mean, some of the stuff we put out is pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and just to clarify, you should, the so, audience uh, should see his smile right now. <laughs> you can see the joy. He's he's imagining eating it. <laughs> I know, and just I mean that's great because a lot of people think of bakeries as just desserts, and so having breads and and pizzas and pizza crusts and. Um, different variations and brownies and in the whole spectrum I think people get locked up in the Panera bread bakeries and and what they have and while there's bread and stuff there it's just (laughs) a certain style product but having the options that you guys have in the seasonality I think is great Um, so again if you're in Morrison or in Colorado go try out the their restaurant allergy free baking company and is that what's the name is on the building as well and yep. how they can yep. find you? There's yeah. a giant Home Depot right on the corner of C470 and Quincy, and we're just in the strip mall right beside it. So I definitely want to do that. And my last question as we start to wrap things up, the, the hardest problem question is, what are the failures you guys have had along the way that have taught you the most or led to your success, or should I say opportunities for growth, not failures? Right. Uh, well, there's been, there's a lot of, there's so many little failures, like, you know, we've, I've t- thrown out tons of product with, you know, these cookies didn't work or why didn't these bagels work? Or, you know, we've talked about, we just, we, grew, we didn't realize we were going to grow so fast. So how to balance home life and, you know, work life. It's all been very tricky. What else do you have? I don't know. Every day brings a different failure. That's how you, right? <laughs> nobody grows or and learns. opportunity for growth. Yeah, nobody <laughs> grows and learns when everything's just going rosy. It's, it's, you know, when you fall down and you get back up and get your Rocky on. Yeah, yeah. Get your Rocky on. I know. We're planning, you know, big like, fan of Rocky over here. I did a whole episode on Rocky Balboa. Oh, uh, uh, yeah? Yeah. My favorite. Planning for inventory or planning for, you know, be like, It'll be a holiday, and we had no idea we were going to have a line out the door for two hours, and we were not prepared, and we ran out of cinnamon rolls in 20 minutes, or whatever it is. You know, we would, then we try to learn from that, use it for the next holiday, or for the next, you know, whatever we need to do that we learned, you know, made a mistake the first time. You you referenced before going back, and you know, do you make a list for last Easter, and uh, so that you know this did really well. Up until, you know, just a short time ago, everything was the first time. Right. So we had no, 
oh, it's going to be Christmas. Okay, well, we've never done this before. Let's see how this will go. Yeah. <laughs> right. So uh, that, that's been a, a learning curve. But we're, we're getting better. Yeah. What are your most popular holidays then so far? I mean, it's only been one round, but where has it been like, oh, oh man, this has been amazing for a holiday push? Because I would think baked goods are more popular during the holidays, but I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, so we've, we've learned now in uh, just under two years that any holiday is going to create chaos. doesn't matter if it's... Mother's Day or Arbor Day, people go crazy at bakeries for holidays. Yeah. So yeah, so Christmas um, Thanksgiving. was insane, Thanksgiving. You know, at Christmas, we, we have to have a lot of cinnamon rolls, a lot of sugar cookie, and gingerbread men cutouts. It's amazing. You don't think about it unless you're affected. Like, my kid's never done a gingerbread man because there is no <laughs> gluten, not, you know, right. dairy-free. Um, Thanksgiving time, we... Uh, okay. Dinner rolls. This, yeah. Cinnamon what, one of the problems of the small bakery where we all make everything ourselves is pies. Uh, pies are challenging. Pies <laughs> are challenging to roll out every crust, you know. And so we just had two people rolling out crusts for their whole shift. Like, so other things go away, right? You can't make as much pumpkin crunch muffins when you have to do 500 pie shells. Um, <laughs> so God. those are challenges. But Easter... Is a, a big holiday. Uh, St. Patty's Day, the soda bread was, we didn't do that last year because uh, she couldn't get the recipe right. Everybody else liked her recipe, but it wasn't good enough for her. So, <laughs> the perfectionist. Um, yeah. But we that's why that, everything's so good. And we found that in a bakery after Christmas, after New Year, it's kind of slow. Everything slows down. I think just in general, that happens in business, but the bakery, like the the first year when we sat there in January after being so crazy busy, and we're like, where is everybody? What's going on here? <laughs> and so we realized, like, you know what? Next year, this is when we should go on vacation with the family. Perfect. Because there's, and so we're figuring things out like that. Yeah, that's what we do now as well. It's between Christmas and New Year's is the best time to get out of town in the food business because while Christmas is so popular and New, Year, New Year's is kind of a foodie thing, there's, it, there's this weird lull just... Thanksgiving's popular, then there's this weird lull. Mm. And then there's Christmas, weird lull, through kind of a pickup at New Year's, but then there's a weird lull until about the second week of January or something for us, a Martin Luther King Day, and, and then all of a sudden things start picking back up. But it is an interesting trend to anyone who knows they're in... You think the holidays and people being on vacation, their families and all that would be a popular time, but people running around and they're going on vacation and they got the kids home and kids want home cooked meals because they're in college and it creates this weird pattern of everything. So um, I think that's pretty cool that you touched upon it. We never talked about it before, but there are trends that you need to pay attention to. So, and I mean, as you get more into business, I assume, you know, now and you adjust for time periods and there's a little bit of predictability on what days to do what and what time of years to do what, and that's going to be popular. So you don't actually have so much waste in, in the baking. We don't have a lot yeah, of waste. Very little waste. <laughs> it either comes home or I, you know, give it to a friend or whatever it is. But we even, you know, we've also learned for staffing, like we need extra staff for all of November and all of December. And then for January, February, it's slow, so we don't. But if, if we have extra staff in those crazy months, it makes our lives a lot easier. How about Valentine's Day? Is that a popular one? Yes. yes. <laughs> yes. I'm just curious, because I yeah, know flowers. Everything pink and... I can think of. I put pink frosting on, you know, all of a sudden it's cherry scones and it's pink frosted bundt cakes and 
lots of fun cupcakes, lots of different fun stuff. Well, you guys should really Can't thank Hallmark for creating all those holidays for you guys. <laughs> and they <laughs> so big, so they could sell cards. Yeah, <laughs> I guess that's. I mean, I'm told that's how it all started is pushing cards. But it is become holidays are becoming such a big deal in this country for every reason and celebrating and reasons to get together. So, I love that we talked about it a little bit on this episode for sure. Um, well, I want to thank you guys for coming on the podcast and driving into our garage studio slash gym. <laughs> and um, if you guys have anyone in the audience is curious about Allergy Free Baking Company, I really recommend looking it up online on social media, see what they're doing. Uh, they don't uh, do an online business, but maybe we'll help promote that if enough of you guys <laughs> out there take interest. Um, but go out there, look what they're doing. I think what they're doing is extremely unique in that the quality of their products are uh, amazing. And obviously they're doing it better than what everyone out there is used to. So if you've tried gluten-free products and not sure about what they are, try theirs and, and see what happens. I mean, it sounds to me like they're doing well and selling out. So they're doing something right. And obviously people are enjoying it. So Deborah and I are definitely going to go try it and probably going to become customers based on my own allergy so get out there try it support them they came out here they volunteered our their time uh so share this episode to anyone you know who is on a gluten-free diet or has any food allergies to nuts or anything like that share this with them help them live a better lifestyle so they can have better food in their life particularly baked goods and pizza crust and bread and i'm drooling just thinking about it so thank you guys again for being on the episode thank you thank you so much for having us and i'm justin bizarro i'm the host uh you guys can reach me at justin.bizarro at gmail.com that's b-i-double-z-a-double-r-o if you're interested in being on the podcast or you just have questions for the people that are on here thank you again deborah for always being my co-host and <laughs> Deborah has pretty amazing questions. She's she's the brains behind it. So anyone doesn't know in the audience, I came up with the idea of the podcast, but she's the one who's really curious about the human <laughs> condition and the questions and wanting to know people's stories. So she really tied it all together. So thank you. You're welcome. And if you guys, again, like what we're doing on the podcast, share it with your friends and family. Please, we're all doing this for free just to spread the word and help out people and help educate people on the food business, but also show everyone out there that there's opportunities there to live a better lifestyle through food as we just did on this podcast. So thank you guys for listening in and have a great day. Bye.